0: Uh, as it was the day it was written and uh, that's what a that's how it's such a blessing to think about that. It's not outdated and and everything else gets outdated. you know everything I was looking at um, whenever a big rule uh, changes and kind of the area of compliance I'm in, I have to kind of look at it, read it, uh, and then kind of make a summary of what's changed and everything else. And one of the ones I was looking at today, uh, he, my summary was they said that they, they put out an initial rule and they kind of rushed it and didn't have everything. And now they're uh, filling in the blanks of what they didn't catch the first time. And I thought, well, my goodness, aren't you glad God didn't have to do that? He doesn't have to come out with a more uh, a better set or, or, or make some changes or everything else. I'm thankful for that. I'm glad uh, our God, He this word is pure, it's preserved, it's true, it's error-free, uh, and it is the word of life, and I'm thankful for that. But Isaiah 44, uh, we're actually going to kind of look at the whole chapter. We're not going to go every verse by verse, but... I want to look at some different things because I think it shows us something uh, uh, something tonight and we'll we'll learn from the Lord but uh, uh, so we'll start out with prayer, Lord, we thank you for your word tonight, thank you for its truth and Lord I'm glad uh, that you've given us the word in our language that we can understand and lord i I pray that as we get into the Bible tonight, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would touch our hearts, our minds. Lord, give us wisdom. Lord, help us to see the truth in your word and, Lord, how it is true in this life, whether uh, it is followed or, Lord, whether it's rejected and and rebelled against. Lord, see, show us the truth of what's going on that, Lord, it will lead us closer to you. Lord, we thank you for all things. And in Jesus' name we pray and amen. Amen. So here in uh, uh, chapter 44 of Isaiah, it deals a lot with... Graven images and uh, we'll Talk about that and idols a little bit And everything but I think it shows us Something that I believe even uh, Is true today even Though uh, a lot of the ways The idols are made and, and worshipped And everything aren't the same that has Changed but I but I, I still Believe we can find a lot of truth here So the first couple verses we're going to Look at uh, it right at the beginning It says yet now hear O Jacob my servant in Israel Whom I have chosen he is." reminding them right off the bat. Uh, this is to Israel. This is to Judah. God's chosen people. He's, he's reminding them just of that. He's saying, hey, I have chosen you. So uh, as I'm getting ready to explain this to you, as I'm getting ready to tell you this, don't you forget that I've chosen you. And by the time we get to the end of the chapter, God's going to reappear at the, uh, at the end. So in the middle is where the idol talk is. Uh, but he's reminding them and he's saying, hey, I have chosen you not only that in verse two, thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee uh, from the womb, which will help thee fear not O Jacob, my servant. And now you jer- uh, whom I have chosen. He's saying now, he's saying, not only did I choose you, but I created you. You didn't create yourself. You didn't make yourself a nation. You didn't come uh, out of nowhere or, or rise up or anything else. He said, I created you. Uh, and then, uh, verse three, what's he saying? Uh, uh, I'll pour water upon him that's thirsty and the floods upon the dry ground. I'll pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessings upon thy offspring. And now he's reminding him, he's like, not only uh, did I choose you, I created you, but I bless you. I've been blessing you. Oh, <clears throat> Where you're at today is not of your own doing because where, you know, at this point at Israel, they they weren't the greatest in number. They weren't the strongest. They weren't the smartest. They weren't uh, so if it was just purely uh, military tactics or, or evolution or whatever you want to call it, they weren't the strongest. It wouldn't be survival of the fittest. But he's reminding them. He said, the whole reason you're here today, I chose you, I created you, I blessed you. And that's a good reminder for us today. You know, we're not Israel today, but we can say he can tell us the same things. He's saying, hey, hey, I'm not here because I'm the strongest, the smartest, the best. I'm here because I'm saved today. I'm here because he's given me a new heart. He's given me gifts. He's given uh, me grace and wisdom and everything, given me his word. That's why I'm here today. But uh, uh, the longer you're in this and the longer they were a nation, they had to be reminded of that. He had to come back and he said, you've got to continue to remember this. And not only that, uh, but look at verse 5. One will say, I am the Lord's, and another will call himself by the name of Jacob, and another shall uh, subscribe with his hand unto the Lord, and surname himself by the name of Israel. Uh, so they, he's saying, uh, I chose you, I created you, I'm blessing you, and now he's saying, you belong to me. Right? That's what he's saying. When he's saying, hey, you're gonna call yourself, I belong to the Lord, I belong to Jacob, or whatever you say, you belong to me. That's what he's saying. I you are mine and not another's, and, and don't doesn't belong to anyone else. Verse 6 Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and the Redeemer of the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Yeah, Capital G. There's only one. Right? There's no competition. And that's what he's telling them right here. There's no other God than our God. I I like this part in verse 7. And who, this is God speaking, as I shall call and shall declare it and set an order for me since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show unto them. What he's saying right here is basically he's saying, hey, uh, I've created things. Right? I created this thing. Not only did I create you as a nation, I created everything. And who am I going to call on as a witness for you to see that I created everything? There's no one I can call. Right? That's what God's saying. Because what he's he's getting at here, there's only one God and it's me. I created everything. So who else am I going to call before creation to look at it and say, yep, I watched God do that. There's nobody. That's what he's saying. No other God, no person, nobody. No other God was there. Verse 8. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have I not told thee from that time and have declared it? uh, Ye are even my witness. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. (laughs) This is what the Lord's saying. Again, like I was saying that he did it. He was there. And here's the thing. Who's the witness? We are the witness, right? Because we believe it. We, we get in the Bible. We read what it says. We proclaim it. We believe that the Bible is true, and the Bible says God created it. Uh, he stepped out of nothing, right? He came from nothing. Uh, he was always there. Uh, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That same one that created everything, and without him was not anything made that was made, Jesus Christ. He created everything, and he's like, don't be afraid. I told you it. I declared it. I've told you in my Word, and you're a witness. Is there a God beside me? The answer is no. There there is no God the the funny thing I like the end he says I know not any. you know what God's saying I've never met another God right. that's what he's saying I don't know another God if there was another God surely I would know him but I don't know him there isn't any we haven't been introduced he's not aware of any and it sounds funny but think of this world. how many gods exist in this world right. How many? I looked it up today. And a website called, and I found uh, the first thing Google sent me to, Psychology Today. (laughs) I'm sure they're an authority on a lot of things, but anyway, they said that there's at least 18,000 different gods, goddesses, various animals, objects that have been worshiped by humans over time. I don't think that number is big enough right 18,000 it doesn't seem big enough to me because every group has created their own a bunch of them have created their own sets they have all kinds but then it makes you wonder i would ask this psychology today do you ever wonder why there are so many why are there that many why does every culture worship something Why do they all create things? Why do they all name things? Why do they all, a bunch of them say, this is the God of this and the God of that. Why do they all do it across time, across cultures? Uh, Ones that never talk to each other. Why do they have similar ones with different names? Why? Is it an accident? Is it? Oh, I know what it is. Psychology today, what would they say? It's evolution, right? Because we all evolved. Well, I would ask psychology today this question. What about worshiping a God makes you survive? In fact, I think it's the opposite, right? If you're going to put your time and effort and submit to something, you're less strong than somebody who doesn't. So it wouldn't be evolution, right? In fact, Christians gave their lives for this. It's not survival of the fittest. So it's not evolution. It's because a creator right? You know what? The Bible answers the question for us. It's not an accident. Revelation 4:11 I have it later in my notes but I'll read it now. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. This world does not like that, but it's the truth. The reason why this world has created all these gods and everything else and they create idols today that aren't necessarily statues, but they create all of these things It's because we were designed by our creator, God, to worship him. And if we won't worship him, we will worship something else. And we see that every day, right? We see it over and over again. It is true. So then that's verses 1 through 8, that first section. And then from verse 9 and for quite a few verses after this, uh, it starts talking about those that would make these graven images or idols or statues. And and I want to look at a couple things from it. And and like I said before, uh, you've heard me say an idol does not have to be a statue. It can, but it's much more than that. Anything that you put before God, becomes your idol. It becomes that. And you can put yourself, you yourself can become an idol. And I feel like that's the most popular idol today uh, in our society, in the the United States is we worship ourselves is what ends up happening a lot of times. But, uh, but look what he's saying uh, right here in verse nine, they that make a graven image are all of them vanity and their delectable things shall not profit and they are their own witnesses they see not nor know they that they may be ashamed do you see what he's saying they're all vanity every single one all 18,000 and every other one they haven't figured out yet and all the ones they've forgotten and all the ones yet to be invented they're all vanity I remember Solomon, which told us about vanity, yeah. empty, unsatisfying, doesn't help you, it's nothing. Yet, why has mankind made 18,000 of them? Because they're trying to fill a void that only God can fill. Amen. That's what they're trying to do, and it's not working because they'll create. See, if it worked, they could create one, but it's not working. Right. That's why they got 18,000 of them right. over and over again. So whether they 'll admit it or not, we were created to worship God and you 'll worship somebody and see what verse nine says something interesting at the at the end uh, it, what they're saying is they who worship them that, that make them they 're all vain and they don't see or know their their minds their spiritually their minds, their eyes are clouded they're blind. It, because if they could see, or they could see the reality of it, they would be ashamed if they were of what they were doing. If they realized how futile, how vain, how, how ridiculous. Like, if they could really see God, and one day they will, they will see instantly how ridiculous it was to make a graven image. Yeah. That's what the Bible's saying, that's what God's saying. And here's the vanity right here. Verse 10, who hath formed a God or molten the graven image that is profitable for nothing. Again, they're creating something that's worthless. Uh, and then uh, skip down to verse 12. This is the blacksmith right here. The smith with tongs both worketh in the coals and fashion it with hammers and worketh it with the strength of his arms. Yea, he is hungry and his strength faileth. He drinketh no water and is faint. So now, uh, I don't know if you've ever been. I've seen different things. Uh maybe at like the Ohio Historical Society or uh, I know we went on a train ride. And they had this kind of old-timey village. And have you ever seen a blacksmith, right? Someone who does that, uh, puts on a, uh, you know, somebody do it's modern day or back then. Well, back then, you know, they, uh, what would they do? They would start the fire. They would fan that fire. They got to get it really super hot. They would get that piece of metal. What would they do? They'd heat up the metal. they get it glowing red. They'd take it over to the thing and they'd start hammering away at it. It would cool off. And what did they have to do? Go right back to the fire. And They just keep doing that and gradually shaping it and shaping it until finally they get it into what they want. Hopefully it gets to what they want, whether it's a sword back then or a plow or a tool or something like that. But what happens if you were to watch them? I've never tried it before, but if you watch them, what happens? They're around that heat and they are physically, you know, moving it quickly, swinging hammers and doing all this stuff. That's hard work, right? Right. They're sweating. They're putting in all that hard work. And what's the Bible say? The Smith is doing all this work to make this graven image. And what happens? He's hungry and his strength faileth him. You see that? He's doing all that hard work, hours of work, sweating in the heat, swinging the hammer, physically exhausting, everything else, backbreaking. He gets hungry and thirsty and has to take a lunch break. Right? That's what the Bible's saying. Why? So he can make an idol, get the strength back, so he can continue to finish this idol that's going to provide for him, bless him, protect him, uh, help his harvest, uh, do whatever else, win a war or whatever. Do Do you see how ridiculous that is? That's what the Bible's saying. He's putting in all that work, and that idol can't even feed him or give him drink or cool him off or anything. He's putting in all the work. And even after he's done, the idol can't help. That's why he's saying it's all vanity. It's worthless. That God that only takes and never gives, takes time, takes energy, takes resources, and in the end gives them nothing. Well, then verses 13 through 17 talk about the carpenter. So we got the blacksmith first, now we got the carpenter, uh, and you see what, what's he do? I'm not going to read it all, but he cuts down trees, right? And he he takes some of that wood and he chops it up uh, into pieces of wood he can use. He uses some wood to start the fire. Uh, he uses some to make bread uh, with, that's verse 15. Uh, so he eats that meal, He that fire warms him up when it's cold. And then look at verse 17. In the residue thereof, he maketh a god, even his graven image, and he falleth down unto it, and worshipeth it, and prayeth unto it, and saith, Deliver me, for thou art my God. Do you see that? He cut that tree down. He did all that hard work. And first he used the wood because he was cold and hungry. Then he makes this god with the residue. That's the leftovers. The extra scrap wood that he's got that he didn't use to feed himself and to warm himself, he makes to God with it. And then he falls down and worships it and prays to it and says, deliver me for thou art my God. That dead piece of a tree, the carpenter now cut down is now his God. That's ridiculous. That's what the Bible says. He should be ashamed of that. That's ridiculous. That wood. He cut and carried and carved is not going to deliver him. It's going to own him. And then verse 19, how ridiculous is it at the end? Shall I fall down to the stock of a tree? Right? A dead piece of wood. You know, only our God can take a dead piece of wood and free a nation with it. They can't. They'll take a dead piece of wood and they can't do anything with it. It'll rule over them. Remember, Moses took that staff and God used it to part the Red Sea. That's our God. Their God can't do that. Verse 20, he feedeth on ashes. I mean, if you just think about that picture, what a nasty thing. At the end of the fire, you've got the ashes. Imagine taking a spoonful of it and eating it. Uh, It would taste nasty, right? There'd be absolutely no nourishment there. But he says that's the equivalent of you serving this God. I mean, that's what he's saying. This is it. There's no spiritual nourishment. There's nothing, no satisfaction to bowing down. But look at verse 21. Here's where God turns it. And says, remember these, O Jacob and Israel. You see what he's saying? He's saying, you remember this. Remember how I've explained to you how ridiculous it is to bow down to something the blacksmith made or the carpenter made or the the goldsmith made or anyone else's made. Uh, Remember what I have said. Remember how ridiculous this is when I explain it to you because you, Israel, are going to be continually tempted to fall into this. The people that are around you, the Canaanites in the land, they bow down to these things. They have their own gods, men's idols. The Egyptians have their own god, all these different ones. Don't you forget how vain it is. And we can fast forward to today. And you know what? There are people today that will save up all their life. They will get into a plane one time in a year. They'll fly halfway across the world. They'll go to this place for their pilgrimage. Uh, they'll, they'll spend these uh, uh, untold amounts of money. They'll travel into the country. Uh, they'll get to this place, and on the last day, they'll go into this great mosque, and they will come in, and there is a black rock in the middle, and they will walk around that thing seven times and try to get as close as they can to either touch it or kiss it, and then they'll go home. And you think, what a waste that is, right? They spend all that money to come see that rock that can't feed them, that can't clothe them, that can't help them, it doesn't get them any closer to God. Yet they do it. Millions. Have you seen pictures, you can't even count how many are doing it year after year. Because some prophet that's dead told them to do that. Right? And we can can all agree with that. That's ridiculous. Why would you do that? That's vain. But what about our idols? The Bible's trying to get us to step back and see any idol you ever have is just as ridiculous. Right? Whatever it is. Maybe you didn't build it, but somebody built it. Maybe you didn't invent it, but somebody else did. But maybe you did invent it. Either way. And it doesn't have to be a statue. It could be anything. It could be anything. And that's what he's saying he's telling Israel, I don't want you to forget. And what's he saying? Remember these things. And then after that, basically he's going to say, because you need to remember me, Right. right? Remember me. I'm the one, I'm the one that's not vain. Verse 22. I blotted out, right? I, I blotted out your sins. I forgave you. I showed you mercy. That idol can't do that. You know why they like those idols? I was looking at Malachi, I think it's end of chapter 2. He says, uh, he talks about being the God of judgment. And they've forgotten that. And you know what? I think that's why a lot of people in today's society today, they need an idol. They need something to worship. They need something or whatever. Because that idol that's made with men's hands or invented with men's minds will never judge them for what they're doing. Wow. You know what the saddest part? There's a lot of churches that may even call themselves Baptist or whatever. And they proclaim the name of Jesus Christ and they have crosses and everything else. But they have invented their own God that doesn't judge them. And God says, that's ridiculous. That's not me. You don't rule. We don't rule him. Right? He rules us. I don't know if you've ever had to do this, but in our house, we're struggling a little bit. With who's the parent and who's the child. Does that ever happen sometimes? Right? And then it reminds me sometimes there's the same struggle. Who's God? Who's the great shepherd and who's the sheep? It's the same thing. He's saying, remember me. Don't you forget. Don't forget my words. Don't forget what I've done with you. I've saved you. Sing, O ye heavens, for the Lord hath done it. Shout, O ye lower parts He's saying, hey, I created everything. Uh, Verse 24, I'm the redeemer. I formed you. I made all these things. I stretched out the heavens alone. He goes right back to creation. And you know, It, it shouldn't surprise us that this world wants to get rid of creation by God. Because if you get rid of that, then you can invent whatever you want. And again, there's no judge. They want to get rid of the judge is what they want. Yeah. But they can't. No matter what theory they think of to create this world. It's very funny and very simple because they'll say, well, it was a big bang. Well, where'd you get the spark? Right. Where'd you get the fuel? Oh, well, it's the, uh, the soup, the whatever. Well, where'd you get the ingredients for that? Oh, it was this. Well, how, you, do you ever realize science needs a miracle at the beginning and then they can go from there after that and then need more miracles in the middle? It's vain. And he said, if you really realized it, you'd be ashamed of that, Right. Why are they pumping the kids' heads full of evolution? Because they don't want them to believe in a creator God. Because if God created us, then we need to know what he expects of us. Amen? And then they would get back to that verse that we are made in his image for his pleasure. And then we'd have to answer to him. But our God... I'm glad he's telling them to remember. He's telling us to remember. I didn't put the verse in here, but I like the verse where it says they have eyes and they see not, hands they touch not, ears they hear not, you know, and everything else. I'm glad our God is the opposite. He sees us where we're at. He can. His arm is not too short that he can't save. Uh, he hears when he call uh, when we call on him in prayer. He is there. He's alive. He's real. We don't have to dust him off and clean him off. He dusted us off when we fall. He's cleaned us up. Uh, he is our God. He feeds us when he's uh, when we're hungry. Uh, he's the fountain of living water. He is everything that these idols aren't. And this is what we need to proclaim to this world. But he's saying, just like he told Israel and Judah, remember, because you will be tempted over and over again. I believe we've got to have the same reminder as well. We will be tempted, not with the Canaanite veil, but we're tempted with other things. We're tempted with the TV, the phone, everything else. Tempted with career, tempted with goals and ambitions, tempted with free time, tempted with laziness, uh, tempted with hobbies, everything else. Whatever the devil can do to get us out of God's will, uh, out of focus. Uh, he will do that get us away from prayer those are all idols and god is saying remember me the tv never helped you when you were down right That's right. right that piece of paper on the wall never directed you right oh m- might have helped me get a career but i'm telling you what it didn't tell me what was right and wrong right. it was in spite of it a lot of times I'm glad we have a God that's real. Amen. Amen. I'm glad I don't have to spend time, energy, and effort to make God better or make God at all. He's spending time and energy and patience and love and grace on me and you to make us better. That's our God. And he's real. I don't have to go to where he's at. And touch a rock that he touched. I'm glad that rock is Jesus Christ. And he touched me. That's the real God. All right, we're going to open up the altar.